Today's episode is brought to you by TrainedUp.Church. TrainedUp is one of those services that I wish had existed when I was working in college campus ministry because one of the best and worst parts about campus ministry is that you're constantly raising up leaders and sending them out into the world when they graduate. It means you always have a need to recruit and train new leaders and volunteers all the time. And I know this isn't a problem exclusive to campus ministry. This is where TrainedUp comes in. It's a flexible and powerful online video course platform that gives you the chance to capture training once and then deliver it to an unlimited number of volunteers at their convenience. Trained Up has an extensive library of pre-filmed training videos and courses you can share with your team. But even more importantly, they give you the ability to film and upload your own training videos and courses to ensure that the language, concepts, and details are right for your ministry. You can even add a quiz at the end to make sure people are paying attention while they watch. It can be as simple as using your own computer's webcam or the camera on your phone. But if video isn't your thing, you can also hire the production team at Trained Up to create professional quality videos using your content. Check out Trained Up today by heading over to trainedup.church. Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. Well, today is a very special episode because this is episode number 50, and later this month, the podcast turns two years old. It's been such an amazing honor and privilege to get to interview so many amazing people, but an even bigger privilege is getting to be in relationship with you, the listener. And especially if you're a newer listener or a newer subscriber, be sure to dig through our archives because we have 49 other episodes that have aired over the last two years that you can listen to and learn from. And I know I'm biased, but there's some really great stuff in there. And of course, a special episode needs a special guest. And our guest today is Carrie Newhoff, the pastor of Connexus Church in Barrie, Ontario. But you might recognize his name from his work in the church leadership space. His blog posts get shared widely on social media. He hosts two leadership podcasts, the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast and a podcast aimed specifically at Canadian pastors. He's also written multiple books. Carrie's here today to talk to us about preaching as an act of leadership. Well, my guest today on this very special 50th episode of Art of the Sermon is Carrie Newhoff. He's the pastor at Connexus Church in Barrie, Ontario. But if you've heard of his name before, you've probably seen one of his blog posts, you listen to his podcast or have read one of his books. Carrie Newhoff, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, Dan, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Well, why don't we begin by having you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as the context of your ministry for those that may not know you as well as I do. Yeah, sure. I uh, I didn't expect to be in ministry, I can tell you that. I started out um, uh, life and leadership wanting to be a lawyer. And when I was eight, I came home, told my parents I'm going to be a lawyer, and did a bunch <laughs> of stuff in between that. When I was 16, I walked into the local... Actually, when I was 12, I kind of got a curiosity. You know, you know, you have those moments as a kid, Dan, where you're like, hey, what is that? And I remember driving down the road, listening to the radio, this yeah. is in the 70s, and like thinking, huh, that's an actual person, like on the other end of the microphone, because yeah. you don't think about it, right? And then I thought, how do you become that person? So when I was 16, I walked into my local radio station, said, hire me. Uh, they did. They gave me a voice test, made me work for, for free for three months, which I gladly did. Made my dad really mad when he found out I wasn't <laughs> being paid. But I didn't care. I wanted to be on the radio. So I did yeah. that and then still ended up at law school. There I met my wife. We've been married 27 years. She's amazing. She is a lawyer. 
And I became one only to resign and uh, head on into seminary. And then 22 years ago, we came up here, started serving three little tiny churches and saw them grow into a larger church. We sold all three buildings, amalgamated them. And then 10 years ago, sort of did a big reboot and started over again in a non-denominational context with some of the very same people. And uh, moved north, moved south to different cities and became Conexus Church. Uh, North Point strategic partner, and so we've been a partnership, one of the first ones, and we've been around for about 10 years, celebrating our 10th anniversary. Uh, two years ago, I moved out of the lead pastor seat to a founding and teaching pastor role so that I, I could uh, focus on what I love to do the most and make sure the succession issue was taken care of at our church, and it has yeah. been really well. We've grown both years, uh, which is incredible. And I still get to teach, and I get to help, and uh, I get to podcast, and uh, I also work with Reggie Joyner and Orange and do all those other things you talked about. So it's been a fun journey. That's so great. Do you think that there is a, a natural connection between uh, being a lawyer or going to law school and ministry? Because actually the bishop in the area where I serve uh, was originally a lawyer. There's a district superintendent back in Florida where I'm from who was originally a lawyer and now they're in ministry. Do you think there's a natural connection there? Yeah, I don't know about law and ministry. I, I don't run into a lot of that. I, I actually, in my year in downtown Toronto, I worked with a former Jesuit priest who left the priesthood <laughs> to become a lawyer, <laughs> Michael. But yeah. um, the best thing law did for me was it completely retrained my mind. It mm. was was a butt kicking, to be honest with you, for uh, me intellectually. It just it was the hardest academics, and I have three degrees: law, history, and theology, and. It was tough. And so, you know, when I first graduated and went into seminary, people asked me, do you ever use your law? And I would be like, well, occasionally I read a contract or, you know, some friend has a traffic sure. ticket they need you to fight or whatever, and I'll go in and help them out. But, uh, and, but my answer was no. And now I say I use it every day because, it, you know, it, in many ways it shapes the way I write. I've written books. I've, I write a blog. It, it shaped the way I interview. It shapes everything. And so for that, I'm really grateful for it. And, and I think it was part of God's providential plan for my life that obviously I, di- I didn't see at the time. That discussion leads us into this next question that I like to ask all of our guests. Do you have any philosophies or approaches to preaching or communication in general? Maybe if you had a personal mission statement or guiding principle, what might it be? Yeah, you know, I really don't. I probably should. I've been doing it long enough, but I couldn't actually articulate it in a sentence. There's been, you know, a couple things that have been really important to me. One would be clarity. I think so much preaching is just ambiguous and you know, you walk out of 40, 45 minutes, it's like, I have no idea what that was about. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. you're the preacher, and you still don't know what it was about. That's a problem. Yeah. So clarity is really important. Uh, another thing would be practical application. I was actually taught in seminary, don't insult the listener by doing application. And I remember mm. hearing Rick Warren say years ago, 70% of your sermon should be application. And obviously, a North Point strategic partner heavily influenced by Andy. Andy's a lot of application. And so... Uh, I, I think about application a lot. The third thing I think about is I try to approach the content from the perspective of the listener, the audience, the congregant. And I'm trying to think, what what are all the objections? So this is probably left leftover from the courtroom. It's like, you have to know not only your client's case, but you have to know what is a judge thinking? Like, what is going to give the judge permission to rule in your favor? And then what is the other guy thinking? What is, what is the defense's or, you know, the plaintiff's 
perspective, depending on what side you're on. And so you're really thinking not just from your perspective, but from the perspective of the judge, from the, if there's a jury, I never did a jury trial, but if there was a jury, what is the jury thinking? Um, you know, that, that's really what you need to be able to do. And so I'm thinking, what is the unchurch guy thinking? What is, what is the person who doesn't know the Bible thinking? What are the key objections to the text? Because if I don't deal with the objections to the text, that is what's going to kill the sermon Sunday at lunch. It's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't work for me because blah, 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 blah. Like, if you can (laughs) answer that question, right? So how do you go through it? And the way you'll watch Andy Stanley do this, like, watch the first five or ten minutes of a message, and it's like, hey, you may be struggling a little bit with purpose or meaning in your life, or maybe maybe you're at the bottom and you're like, I don't have anything. But some of you, actually, you're at the top, and it's pretty good. You got the house, you got the car, you got the family, you got the bank account. It's better than you ever thought, but there's this like nagging thing inside you that tells you this isn't it. Like There's got to be something more. If you can hit enough of those in your message... Then, and you've thought about, you know, the stay-at-home mom, the guy who's successful, the guy who's struggling, the unemployed, uh, the single mom, the single dad, the couple that's divorcing, the couple that's happily married. If you can go through enough of those scenarios in your mind, you're probably going to be able to speak to people. And that's when you start getting emails that's like, how did you know? Well, I didn't know. I didn't know. God knew. I didn't know. Um, but if you can, if you can put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And so I try to do that when I'm writing. I try to do that when I'm, when I'm interviewing, you know, what, how am I going to set you up to succeed if you're my guest on my podcast? And how am I going to help the, the audience connect or the congregation connect with the text and, and therefore with Christ? in the process of this. And what I need to do is I need to clear their objections and let them know I understand. Because if they don't think you understand, they're not going to listen to what you hear. No, absolutely. And and I think probably one of the benefits, especially of Andy being so clear and speaking, this person might be thinking this, this person might be thinking this. He's yeah. also letting his his longtime Christian friends know that it's safe to bring those kinds of people to worship because Andy is going to be speaking to those people. If you preach like they're in the room, eventually they'll be in the room. Yeah, absolutely. If you preach like they're not, guess what? You're probably not going to have unchurched people in the room. And it's important to think through that. I heard the analogy one time that sometimes preaching can be like when you try on clothes at the store and there's really great lighting and all the mirrors have all the right angles and it looks great. And then you get it home and it doesn't look anything like it did at the store. Uh, It's sort of like, you know, you're you're the you're the store that has the the crappy lighting that says this is what it's going to look like in real life. I want you to know and be clear. And hey, it still looks good on you. Yeah, you know, you're right, Dan, and, and I, I think about this in sermon prep, and I often say it on a Sunday morning, but what does this look like on a Tuesday afternoon? What is this like on a Thursday morning, and how does this feel on a Saturday night? Because that's when your faith hits the road. That's when when all of this really comes home. How does this feel when you come home after a long day at the office where nothing went right, the house is a mess, and you walk in the door? Where does this stick on that, because that's real, and we all actually live in that world, not the ideal world, but the real world. Absolutely. Well, one of the primary things that you're known for outside of pastoring your church is being a voice in the church leadership space. You've got a blog, multiple podcasts, multiple books. You also speak at lots of conferences. I was wondering if you could share where your passion for leadership began uh, and maybe how it's changed or developed over the last couple decades. 
Yeah, I think um, it probably we just went through a spiritual gifting assessment at our church this past summer, which was interesting because I, I redid my Myers Briggs and everything, and and I think it's honestly the way God wired me. Everybody has different giftings, but when I look back, even as a kid, I would be the kind of person who, if there wasn't you know a clear leader in the class, I would become the leader or make sure that there was a leader, or if things are disorganized in the room, it'd be like, "All right, well, somebody's got to do this <laughs> and so that's not always good. You can end up being the bull in the china shop, but sure. it's a it's a natural wiring I, I almost can't help myself um you know when I stepped out of the lead pastor role, I had a couple of people within a a few days, really good friends say to me you know, you need something to lead. I'm like, no, I'm not leading anything right now. I'm enjoying this. This is great. I get to teach. I get to relax. Even though I was working full time, I felt like I was on vacation. And sure enough, I'm back to leading stuff. So yeah. Did you have a leadership withdrawal? Uh, You know, no, because it just, I really enjoyed a few months where I wasn't doing much. But then, you know, as you and I were talking about the podcast and the blog has really exploded. And all of a sudden, I have a team and you know, you go from a half-time assistant to three people, four people, five people, and the whole deal. So I got something to lead and stuff to lead at the church, and we started a conference, and I started new podcasts, and, you know, before you know it, you're right back in it. You can't help yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how, how has that informed? One thing I would say that, that I noticed that really impacted me was I noticed the paucity of leadership that seemed to be present in the church when I was in seminary. Mm. Um, The contrast between law school and seminary almost couldn't have been stronger. I mean, you got got a mixed bag in whatever you do, whether that's medicine or marketing or whatever. Um, But it just seemed like the best and the brightest were never moving into ministry, and there is a leadership crisis in the church. So I think that's always been really close to my heart. And even long before I had the podcast or the blog or published a book, you know, I would get in my car on a Tuesday night and drive to an elder board that asked me about why our church was growing, and I'd meet with our elders and just talk to them about it. And so I've always had that heart, and I think what happened is I've been doing leadership development for 20 years. It's just a whole lot more people showed up. Yeah, absolutely. It, I think there for a while, the approach to clergy recruitment or or determining your call was, if you can imagine yourself doing anything else, you should do that first, or you should do that instead. Yeah. You should only be in the church if you feel really singularly called to it. And we lost a, a lot of really good people who have interests and abilities in other areas who could have also been and still can be amazing leaders in the church. No, I think that's a really good point. You know what? I've given that advice, and that is not the advice I give anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's one way it's changed, because you know, Andy would tell you his call story is he doesn't really have a supernatural call. I do. Yeah. And I'm not like a supernatural person, but I do. I have that that story. I think it was the only way God could get a hold of my attention. But Andy is like, is it okay if I volunteer? Clay Scroggin, same story. No dramatic call story. It's just like, am I allowed to do this? And I mean, they're doing an incredible job in the church. And so, yeah. you know, and I think I think part of the the other story is if you go back a generation or two, there was a cultural expectation, like you know, being a clergy was not a low person on the totem pole. That was respected, and often in a small town or even a medium sized city, you were one of the best educated people in the city, sure. and so it attracted certain people. And then, and then there was a general like, "Hey, who who of you is going to go into ministry?" There, it was, it was a real option that was out there that somehow we squelched. I don't know how. Mm. 
Well, this is a really broad question, and it's intentionally broad because I would love for you to take it uh, in whatever direction you'd like. How critical is communication to leadership? Oh, I think it's really hard to be a leader if you're not a great communicator. And the sharper your communication skills, probably the stronger and the broader your leadership is going to be. I would expand that even beyond leadership and and talk about life skills. I'm working with a number of 20-year-olds who are sort of launching into life, right? Finish university and in their first career jobs. And one of the incredibly unfair advantages you have if you're a good communicator is you're just going to get further faster, period, plain and simple. If you have good interpersonal skills, good communication skills, if you can turn a meeting around, if you can convince a colleague to stay a little bit longer on a project or come your way on something, that's all communication skills. And people with great communication skills do better in that. Think about that in terms of your marriage, right? One of the key reasons marriages fall apart is because of lack of communication. And if you're good at communication and you hone that skill, you're probably going to have a better marriage and you may have a longer marriage or a permanent marriage, you know. Uh, And so I think that's true in, in leadership as well. And probably as I reflect on two decades in the senior leaders chair, I would say my favorite way to lead was through communication, that if we needed to go somewhere... I would just like try to rally the staff, rally the yeah. elders, rally the volunteers, rally the church on a Sunday morning. And I was probably better at that than even, you know, trying to muddle my way through a meeting that was all logistical. <laughs> and as we start to, to think specifically about the sermon, how can preaching be an act of leadership, both for you individually and an act of, of leading the church as a whole? I remember a piece of feedback that Andy Stanley gave me years ago now when I was first getting to know him. And I'd given a talk at North Point, and I asked him for some feedback. And it was some of the most meaningful feedback I got. He didn't say anything critical. So I'm like, okay, well, Andy Stanley didn't say anything critical. So that was good. (laughs) But what he did say to me, it was really interesting. He said, you had me in the first 60 seconds. And I said, well, how? Like, why? He said, I could tell you were a leader. And he said, I wanted to follow to see where you were going. And then he went on to say, there's a difference between a communicator who's speaking and a leader who's speaking. He says, because Mm. a communicator may be eloquent, they may have a polished text. I'm paraphrasing him here, but but you're not necessarily interested in where they're going because you're not sure about where they're going. A leader can get up and can talk, and you just know, wow, this is going somewhere. I, I want to be along for the journey. And the leader may not be quite as polished as the communicator is, maybe not as eloquent, but you're more gripped, and you want to follow because that leader is heading somewhere. And mm. so I, I just think that they're, the best communication has that leadership component to it, because you're going somewhere. And I mean, you know, most, most of your listeners have probably heard this before, Dan, but, you know, there's that thing about how much would major corporations pay for 40 minutes of someone's undivided attention? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what you have on Sunday morning. And for you not to cast vision about your church, and I mean, that doesn't mean every sermon has to be a vision sermon, but there should be some component of vision in there. You're calling people, like, you know, in, in marketing, everybody talks about the call to action. And there are so many sermons that have no call to action. A leader calls people to act, not just to think, not just to know, but to do. And so what do you want your people to do? And if you can answer that question, I think you're leading. Absolutely. And and 
I would say that there are so few spaces now where people are willing to sit and listen to one or two people speak for an extended length of time anymore. You've got pretty much stand-up comedians, political speeches, and and maybe the classroom, even though a lot of classrooms are beginning to change up the the lecture, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, format and things like that. And so it's not just that we we want people's attention, but we have people's attention in a, in a form that is almost not existent anymore or people aren't open to anymore, but yet they're open to it in the church. Do you think that that's something that's going to continue or do you think that preaching is going to have to shift and change as well? I think that is a great question and an open question. And uh, ask me in five, 10 years, I may have a totally different <laughs> answer. I think what's happening, people argue that people's attention spans are shrinking, and I think that's true in some areas, but I think it's also false. Uh, Five minutes of boring is five minutes too long. Yeah. An hour of fascinating is an hour of fascinating. So you have a world, I think we live in a culture right now, where so many things are getting shorter. I was talking to a marketer recently, and he says the magic word right now in mid-2017 is 60 seconds, that people will give you 60 seconds. So if you can be like three leadership tips that, you know, work for 60 seconds or whatever, you know, in 60 seconds, I'll make you a better leader. Boom, boom. Those are the promises, right? Okay, great. On the other hand, um, I'm a big fan of long-form podcasting. I just listened to an hour and a quarter interview between Cal Fussman and Larry King, and it could have been three hours. I would have listened. Um, podcasting has gone to long form. My blog, when I relaunched my blog five years ago, people were like, needs to be three to 400 words. That was the conventional wisdom. Well, soon I was right. at 2,000 words on some posts. Guess what? They're some of my most read posts. Uh, my own podcast is long form. I'll do minimum 45 minutes, sometimes 90. And yeah. there's no problem there as long as it's interesting. And I think the same applies to your sermon. If you're boring, five minutes of boring is five minutes too long. I don't know whether there's 60 minutes anymore. I'm usually 35 to 40, and I've shrunk that by 10 to 15 minutes over the last decade. But, um, you know, if you can be... I think God's Word is fascinating. I think God's Word is never boring. Our crime is that we make it boring. But if you can actually expose the text for what it is, not... I know there's theology with problems with what I'm going to say, but not obscure its power. You know, sometimes right, I think right. you can throw a cloak over over it if you're not careful, if you mishandle the text, but really allow the text to do what God intended the text to do, and for God to do what God wants to do in that space, and then you kind of get out of the way, or you make it interesting, or you, you, you don't at least make it uninteresting, and you're authentic, and you open yourself, and it's practical, and it's clear... I think people have an appetite. We never hear the sermons were too long. Like, we just yeah. don't. We we don't. Now, I have trimmed them a little bit, but, you know, 38, 42 minutes, nobody's complaining. That's great. Uh, how do you and your team go about selecting and prepping for various preaching topics? Uh, do you do you just look at the calendar? Do you look at the seasons? Do you look at where you're wanting to lead your church community? Uh, a mixture of all of those things. How do you, how do you pick what you're going to preach on? It would be all of the above. And I know some people have like rigid theological calendars that we have to cover these eight subjects or uh, whatever. Mine's way more intuitive, and I'm the primary teacher at our church. I teach 35 Sundays a year still in my new role. And I'm a little more organic. You know, here's a, to, to, to be just totally transparent, if I'm not interested in it, the series isn't going to be interesting. Mm, yeah. Let's just be honest. I mean, the stuff that we have to do 
Nobody really likes to do it. And people can tell. So, you know, that's not saying whatever I feel like, I just do. No, but I try to craft it in a way. uh, So I look at biblical weight, like we haven't done a series on grace. We haven't done a series on sin. We haven't done a series on, you know, X, Y, Z. I probably have some boxes in my head I need to tick that aren't actually written down, but I just know that. The other thing I do as a personal discipline is for 18 out of the last 20 years, I've read the one-year Bible. Mm. And so I'm going through literally all 66 books, letters, every year, cover to cover. And so I'm in, like, I wouldn't have planned on preaching on Hosea, but after reading through Hosea again for the X number of times, I'm like, I should really do a whole series on Hosea. Um, Jonah really grabbed my attention last year. So I'm preparing a a series on Jonah uh, for this fall. So, I mean, there's that discipline to make sure I just don't fall into my favorite ruts over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we look at uh, felt need and large needs. So what are some felt needs that that people are experiencing? Uh, Stress, anxiety is a big one these days. So we did a series called Stress Less, Less in Brackets, right? It's not stressless, it's just stress less. That went over really, really well. Uh, we're going to do an, we did an apologetic series last year called I Can't Believe in a God Who. It was eight parts, which kind of flies in the face yeah, of a lot yeah, of wisdom yeah. these days. And we broke attendance records and like it was, it was incredible. Uh, we'll do another apologetic series, I think in January. And, and so, you know, I kind of look at that and then we try to see what people are actually struggling with. Have we done a relationship series recently? And obviously all through a biblical framework. So ours is a mixture of, you know, I try to do at least one biblical book or um, sort of more expository thing a year. You know, Andy did King David. Uh, I'm, I'm doing Jonah. I did Psalm 101, did four weeks on Psalm 101, which I thought was fascinating. Uh, probably going to do Hosea next year. And then, and then an assortment of subjects. Plus, we pick from uh, North Point's roster. And right. so I try not to duplicate. I know a lot of guys and, and women these days, they just say, oh, Andy did a new version of a series guardrail, so I'm going to redo that. I wouldn't. I'm just going to run Andy. And then yeah. I, try to teach, I try to teach out of my own well. And uh, plagiarism is on the rise again and again and again. Oh, and yeah. I, I just... I just think you lose if you're a plagiarizer. Uh, mm. Are we all influenced by people? Pfft, absolutely. I'm influenced by Andy and so many others. Uh, but I need to find my own voice in the mix of it and let God speak through who I am, which in many ways doesn't feel nearly as exciting as some of the other people I admire. But then if God wanted me to be them, he would have made me them, but he made me me. So I have to be me bringing yeah. the text to my congregation. Well, let me ask you about your relationship with, with North Point, and what, what is it like to sh- essentially share the stage or share the pulpit with one of the most effective communicators uh, in the modern church? <laughs> you have to get over your insecurity, and I felt that, you know, you still feel it from time to time. Like, he tends to knock it out of the park, you know? Yeah. And uh, I remember a decade ago when we did our first Andy series, it was really like, you know, you play the game in your head, not publicly, about... <gasps> oh, what if people don't want me anymore? You know, I'm not as funny or I'm not as... No, but you know what? I'm me and he's him and he's phenomenal. And I I think, you know, Andy, of course, I'm going to quote Andy on how to handle that. Um, (laughs) Let me just quote Andy one more time. Uh, In Comparison Trap, he said it so well. He said, celebrate the gifts that God has given other people. 
leverage what God has given you. So I have to mm. celebrate Andy. It's not like he is an amazing communicator that God has gifted for a unique purpose to help millions of people, but I've got to leverage what he's given me. And when I remember that, I do really well. When I forget it, it becomes petty really quickly. And usually that doesn't leak out in public or in meetings or that. But you know the games we all play in our head. But that's true for everybody. And, you know, just, you know, 10 years ago, there was an exclusivity to a partnership that doesn't exist anymore. Because if you're like, well, I'm putting Andy on my screen, listen, whoever is listening to this podcast, your Christians have more than one pastor. And they might be listening to Elevation Church. They may be listening to Tim Keller's archives. They could be listening to some guy in Utah you've never heard of before, some woman in South Carolina you've never met before, but they have another pastor, and they are comparing that pastor to you and you to them. And that's just the world we live in now. And you know what? That's okay. That's all right. You just have to be secure enough uh, to be able to handle that. And that's been a journey for me, but I, I'm at the point now where I'm thrilled when it's an Andy series and... Uh, Sometimes I just want to play him again, but then it's my turn to go back up. <laughs> you mentioned the the plagiarism. I think there certainly is plagiarism. I think sometimes, too, there may be a little bit of unintentional plagiarism, sort of like John Williams says he just can't listen to music anymore because the melodies get in his head and then he gets accused of stealing them. Do you recommend right. to, to preachers, young, middle-aged, or older preachers, to listen to other preachers uh, to, to learn, or, or do you think that may be... Uh, I mean, it's always good to listen to other preachers, but how do you, how do you think we should guard against maybe crossing that line into plagiarism? I think the thing you have to watch for, I think, first of all, to answer your question clearly, yes, you should definitely listen to other preachers and, and a variety. I think what happens is we find our favorite, and then before you know it, we start to sound like them. Yeah. So when I was in seminary, uh, long before podcasts and everything, we, listen, we, we used to listen to cassette tapes in class <laughs> of Fred Craddock, some people would know that name, Tom Long, who was at Princeton, David Buttrick, yeah. and others. And I mean, they've written some of the great preaching texts uh, in, in certain circles. And if I listen to Fred Craddock too long, my wife would pull me aside and say, you're developing a Southern accent. Now, I'm from Toronto, <laughs> okay? And she'd be like, you're like drawing out your A's. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, I know, because we all get into that, right? And I'll tell you, you can listen to people who sound like Bill Hybels. You can listen to people who sound like James McDonald. You can listen to people who probably sound like Andy Stanley. Have I picked up a couple of his mannerisms? Yeah, probably. But I want me to be me. Yeah. You know, and he should be him. And I also work really closely with Reggie Joyner. You know, Reggie's a storyteller. I'm not. I think in bullet points. That's why I write in bullet points. You know, he writes in narrative and stories and the whole deal. So I'm better because I'm with him. I also do a lot of work with John Acuff these days. You know, Acuff is hilarious. He just sees the world in a whole other way. I can learn from him. And I've become a little bit better of a storyteller and and better at delivery by listening to him. But I'm never going to be John Acuff, and that's yeah. okay. So yeah. I, think, I think you want to try to listen to a variety. I think you want to watch for points of imitation. And then obviously, if you're going to... We all borrow. Solomon had it right. There's nothing new under the sun. Just sure. give credit where credit's due, Right. If you ever, and I've never, I've, I've only ever preached an entire message once, maybe by Rick Warren, a couple times with Andy, and I've emailed his office and just said, hey, you know, do you have notes? And I'll just say, hey, this is a message that Andy Stanley gave at North Point that I'm sharing with you today. Just acknowledge it and then go into it. I've done that a handful of times in my life. 
But if you're doing that, just say, I got this from John Ortberg. I got this from uh, Nancy Beach or, you know, Jeannie Stevens or whoever you're listening to and, and give credit where it's due. And you listen to the masters. You listen to Tim Keller. He does it all the time. As C.S. Lewis said, as this person said, as this preacher said, as this person said, it's very natural. But I think if you're insecure or worse, you didn't do your homework, right? Right. You yeah. didn't study, you didn't pray, you didn't prepare, you downloaded, well, that's a whole other story. And even if you're caught that way on a Saturday night and you download somebody's message, have the humility to get up and say, I got this message from Rick Warren, I got this message from Stephen Furtick, and I'm sharing it with you today. Yeah. And please, whatever you do, do not share their personal stories yes, as though they yeah. were yours. We have found, we're not, you know... We're not a church that has thousands of churches doing our messages, but we have churches who do our messages in our series. And I know Jeff Brody, our new lead pastor, and myself, we found people who are like telling our stories as though they <laughs> happened to them. And it's like, hey, wait a minute. No, no, no. You weren't in the car that day, and that's not your wife. Never, yeah. ever do that. If you, if you don't even have the time to sub in your own stories, you probably shouldn't be preaching. Yeah. Well, thanks to the extensive behind-the-scenes looks you give us through Instagram stories, uh, we have had a chance not only to see your amazing smoking and grilling career, and I mean smoking as in prepping food, uh, uh, cycling and all that, but you also give us uh, windows into how your church prepares and then debriefs from Sundays. Um, could you give us just a, a short thumbnail sketch of what your run-through on Sunday morning looks like, because I know you all stress excellence, and then are there any follow-up or feedback processes for the message after? after a Sunday. Yeah, it's evolved over time for sure. I mean, if I if the whole podcast was about this, I could talk to you about how we did it 20 years ago versus how we do it today and it's it's like we have five different churches over those 20 years. It just keeps yeah. evolving. And so what's happened to us now is we generally work anywhere from 3 months to a year out on series ideas from a development standpoint. Like we haven't had our retreat yet for the summer. It happens next week at the very end of the summer. Um, but I already know where I want to go in January, and we had that meeting on Tuesday, and it's like, guys, I want to start with a six- to eight-week series based on Mark Clark's book, The Problem of God. Uh, you know, we'll give it credit. May even have Fly Mark in. It's a great book on apologetics that, that just came out. And, um, you know, so we're going to do that. I've already got the rest of this year mapped out. We got North Point series picked, my series picked, but we're, they're at the big idea stage. We know the title we know the general direction. Four to six weeks in advance, I give them a specific one-paragraph breakdown, like, you know, the next series that we're working on is called The Great Escape. Uh, why Your Escape? Why Your Escapism is No Escape. I come up with these titles and I can't remember them. Uh, <laughs> why Your Escapism is No Escape. So it's a book of Jonah. I was going to call it Runaway, but then the team, because we'll discuss it in team, and I'm a verbal processor, said, what about the great escape? What about escape? Escape. And I'm like, oh, we could call it the great escape. And I had like Houdini in mind. And then they said, no, what about the guy who golfs too much? Or what about, I'm like, oh, that's even better. Mm. And so then, you know, escapism came up and then it's, oh yeah, why your escapism provides no escape. So there was the big idea. They can get all the branding done around that and the title package. And then I've got a paragraph that sort of summarizes it that you can put on an invite card. Right now, we're three weeks out from that series. I've got the four weeks of Scripture passages worked out. The bottom lines for every week, we work to a bottom line. You know, um, So the bottom line for the series is uh, God doesn't run away from runaways. So that's sort of the big idea. That'll We'll work that into one of the weeks, and then um, I'm finishing that stuff up. 
uh, before the whole series is preached, all the small group questions are done, all the bottom lines are decided. I've usually got one to three weeks of teaching screens finished. Um, so that means all the points that we use a plasma, just like North Point does, all the stuff that's going to appear on the TV is already done and in production. So that means I am working ahead of time. The shadow side of that is sometimes I get into a Thursday well, I'll blow off something I wrote a month ago and I'd be like, (laughs) oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Like, uh, I I don't even remember, right? So that can be a bit of a challenge. So all that is done before the series goes live. All of our social media, the graphics, they're all in queue and ready to go. And then what happens is we're working on production orders anywhere from three to five weeks in advance. That's where all the songs, we use Planning Center, all the songs get picked. And we have a team now, we have a service programming director, Justin Piercy, Justin does all that work. Uh, We bring three or four creative types and um, LDPs, leadership development interns into the room. Some of them are doing the heavy lifting, they're producing the graphics, they're producing that. Others are more on the strategy and the thinking level. And, uh, and we'll work on creative elements in the service. So, you know, do we want to do a special song? Do we, do we want to do a game? Like, for example, for The Great Escape, I said, uh, we were talking about different creatives, and I said, what if we just brought, like, some mini holes into the lobby at our campus? <laughs> That's cool. You know? And people can just, like, people take pictures and post that to Instagram. Yeah. And then we might bring in, I don't even know if they told me what the name for this is, but you know how every award show has, like, that backdrop? What do you call those yeah. things? Yeah. name for them? I don't know. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Somebody yeah. in our, at our church knows what they're called. So, anyway, we're going to bring one of those in if people want to Instagram it. And that's a way of helping it go social and viral and fun and memorable. And the next time they're on the golf course or doing whatever else we have in the foyer, foyer, sorry, American audience, uh, <laughs> we, you know, they'll be like, oh, yeah, is this escapism? And so, you know, they help me because I'm a verbal processor. This is my office here at my house. So I'm sitting here all alone. Then I go into a two-hour meeting and I come back with, oh, that's clarity. Like part four totally shifted as a result of yesterday's meeting when we talked about it for 10 minutes and it was, it was much better. And then the week before, we just check all the boxes to make sure that the song is done and the lyrics are done and the creative piece is done or the baptism is lined up and, and everything. And, and I think of services these days in terms of an emotional plot line. You know, that are we starting soft and going louder? Or, you know, is this starting big and then going quiet? Is there a pastoral moment in the midst of it? Where does this message land? We have big, um, you know, kind of altar call type moment at the end of the series. We're going to invite people to make a decision for Christ. We're already planning for that. And this is six weeks in advance. So that's how we do it. And then we do a, a review where... Every week we give oh half dozen to a dozen people the opportunity to feedback on the service, and that's staff and some key volunteers. And when it comes to the message, we ask the question, was it relevant, memorable, and helpful? Mm. And so we get feedback. But I would say, and, and this is fair, and everybody on our team knows it, the most meaningful feedback I think you get as a communicator is from other communicators. Because... Yeah usually what you get from people is like, oh, that was good or it wasn't good, Dan. You know, that was a good message. But okay, great. So you knew you did a good job or a bad job. But the real question is why? Like, why was that a good message? Or why didn't that fire? Well, it didn't fire because you didn't have a personal story or because, you know, you, you, you were delivering it too fast and the audience didn't have time to respond. Or, hmm, you need more detail in the story to have it really connect. Those are the specific things that communicators are probably best, fellow communicators. So even if that, you know, if you haven't got anyone, you have a small church, all right, and you're like, well, I'm the only preacher, great. 
Well, then do feedback with another preacher in your community yeah. or a friend yeah. and say, I'll listen to your sermon. If you listen to mine, I'll give you honest feedback if you give me honest feedback. Because communicators understand. It's like, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you want to know how to make the meal? Ask the chef. The, right, you know, right. he made it. He'll tell you, oh, no, it was the saffron that made this rice pop. Boom. Well, we have a set of questions that we like to ask all of our guests, and the first is, what is one of your most favorite or most challenging preaching experiences? Or you can answer both. Oh, every Sunday. You know what? <laughs> like, seriously, when you do this for 22 years in the same place with some of the same people, those churches were small, but there's a half dozen who have heard almost every message, and, you know, if you're long-term in a place... Uh, I know one of the questions you sent me is about Christmas and Easter. Like, those are the hardest things to do. So this year I'm doing a joint venture with Jeff Henderson from Gwinnett Church, and, you know, he's doing a couple weeks, and I'm doing a couple weeks, and we're kind of writing it together through a different lens, but it is presenting that same message in a fresh way. Now, if I was to quit and go somewhere else, which I have zero intention of doing, it's easy, because now i got a 20-year archive I can pull (laughs) from, but... right. That's why speaking on the road is so much easier than speaking at home. You can tell the yeah. same stories, the ones that work. You've got like 10 set talks for a season that you can pull from. Every Sunday, you're producing fresh content. So I understand why people download other people's sermons. I just don't think that's a faithful use. You know, problem with that is you'll never develop your gift. And so I have to develop my gift. I have to speak to the people that I am called to speak to and that I am called to pastor. And that's, that's one of the most challenging things I do. Well, and that does lead to our next question. Which do you prefer, preaching Christmas Eve or Easter? Do you have a favorite? None. Um, so so <laughs> I say that either. because, yeah, yeah, it is neither. Uh, I love them both. Obviously, they are, they are the best days ever, but it is getting that fresh angle every year that I just find harder and harder after 23 goes at it. And maybe people are like, well, you're not praying enough or whatever. I get that. But I just find that really difficult to do. And uh, th- those, those, which one, you know, they're different. The centerpiece of the Christian faith is Easter. And so I think that's really exciting. But the cultural hub is Christmas. If you were if you were just attending a service, you didn't have to preach it, you didn't have to lead it, you uh, you didn't have to then stand and shake hands for ninety minutes after while you just want to go home and drink hot chocolate or go eat an Easter egg. If you were just attending a, a church service, which one uh, warms your heart or, or is the place where you feel most like home? Oh, nostalgia would be Christmas. Power would be Easter. Yeah, gotcha. you know, at the end of the day, we got one message, and it's based on an empty tomb and a risen Lord. So it's got to be Easter. Well, you have given us so many names through this podcast, and we'll link to all of them in the show notes, but are there any uh, impactful preachers that you've already mentioned that you want to re-mention, or maybe a few others, uh, or even some non-preacher communicators that have been influential in your life? Well, Andy, for sure. Tim Keller. I mean, I'm a little bit sad that he's retired from preaching. It's like, I hope you break your, your retirement at some time soon. <laughs> he is, he is a, a genius preacher. And I think he's got decades left to contribute to uh, the church and and to culture. But, you know, when we don't have him anymore, it'll be like a C.S. Lewis died in in our generation. Um, Yeah, I listen to Louis Giglio from time to time. I listen to Judah Smith. I listen to Stephen Furtick. I'm kind of fascinated by the resurgence of what I would call emotional, um, neo-charismatic preaching that that we're seeing emerge in the church. I listen to Josh Gagnon um, preach in his leadership podcast up in New England. 
Um, Craig Rochelle, I think, is really interesting. And Craig is somebody, Andy, if you're listening to Andy from 10 years ago or Andy today, you almost can't tell. Um, yeah. Craig's evolving. Craig, Craig is different than he was a decade ago. And I want to unpack that the next time, if I have an opportunity to interview him, how he's changing. Stephen Furtick has really evolved as a communicator over the years as well. So I'm really fascinated by, you know, preachers in their 30s who, who are part of that neo-charismatic, neo-almost-revivalist style of preaching and how that works with unchurched people in the room. That's sort of a, a, a current curiosity for me. I know you've also mentioned before in other spaces that you're a big fan of stand-up comedy. Do you have any comedians that you uh, <laughs> turn to to learn from or, or just to turn your brain off and enjoy? I am. I mean, Jim Gaffigan, Nate Bargazzi, is it? Nate Bargazzi. Uh, you know, although it's completely inappropriate for children or whatever, sure, Mitch Hedberg sure. is really funny. Um, just even from the way he thinks. See, a lot of comedy is bizarre associations. It's it's the power of observation, and it's bizarre association. I really don't like filthy, vulgar comedy, so I... You know, if it gets to be too bad, I just turn it off. It's just me. Yeah, yeah. I'm a prude. My kids think <laughs> I'm a, you know, Puritan or whatever. Um, but it's, it, yeah, you know, it's, 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 I love to laugh, but I really love to study. Okay, how do they make all those connections? That's so fascinating. And I find a lot of those principles are, are, are transferable, which is, which is really good. And often it's taking the literal that everybody knows and uh, just making it really, like, obvious that, I don't know, you can see it's not very funny, so I'm still learning. <laughs> well, do you have any other uh, books, podcasts, or other resources that you haven't mentioned that you'd like to recommend our audience check out? Or any of your own books that you'd like to plug? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You can find anything I do at my name, com. so check that out. Uh, I am doing a Breaking 200 course this fall called Breaking 200 Without Breaking You. 85% of all churches can't break past the 200 attendance barrier. We did that where I am, and so I share a lot of our lessons in a way that hopefully can work for you and your your leadership team. So I'm pretty pumped about that. That comes out early this fall. Um, you know, what's on my, what's in my earbuds? Uh, the Tim Ferriss Show is a really fascinating podcast. Again, yeah. some language there, but like, I think he's one of the best interviewers today. Trying to study Charlie Rose a little bit more. I'm just fascinated by interviewers. Uh, what else am I listening to? Uh, How I Built This with Guy Raz, NPR, just really that whole startup entrepreneur leadership thing. Uh, love Masters of Scale with Reed Hoffman. Uh, listen to a lot. Craig and Andy's leadership podcast, obviously, you know, in the church space. Uh, I'm just looking at my actual phone so I don't tell stories. Five Leadership Questions, really good. Donald Miller's podcast. Uh, I love uh, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin. I'd love to have <laughs> his voice. Um, Jeff Walker fan, he just launched a podcast, Chris Brown's Leadership Podcast. Can you tell I listen to a lot of podcasts? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, those are, those are just a few. Uh, Tom Rainer's podcast, of course, uh, Unseminary, uh, Gospel and Life, Tim Keller. So, And I mentioned, there's an old one, by the way, which is really interesting. It's like five years old. Uh, I think you can still get it, Social Triggers with Derek Halpern. And then Freakonomics and, oh, Fortune Unfiltered, really good as well. And uh, finally, uh, if folks want to get in touch and say hi or follow your work, what's the best way to do that? 
Yeah, if you can't spell my name, which is Carrie Newhoff, I, I could try that. You can go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, dot takes you to the same place, and uh, and I'm there. And you know, written some books and got some courses. Uh, really excited for the future. Love building into leaders and uh, love podcasting as well. So I'm in that space as well. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for your time today and for being the special guest for the special 50th episode of Art of the Sermon. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me, and and thanks for doing what you're doing and building into leaders. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.